0: Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska, by Pastor Tim Barone.
1: Grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus. Let's open up our uh, Romans journals to chapter 3. And finally, we've been going through this kind of long argument of why the righteousness of man fails and only brings the wrath of God. And finally, we get to this wonderful news of the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus. And so, beginning in verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, On the contrary, we uphold the law. Thank you, God, for your precious word. Uh, we, like I mentioned, we have gone through kind of this long uh, valley, you could say, in the first couple chapters of Romans, where Paul is systematically factoring out every way to God except through faith in Jesus Christ. And so he began to say, this is all about the gospel. It's all about the gospel of Jesus' righteousness being revealed. This is where the power of God is revealed in this gospel. He went on then to say that the wrath of God is revealed on everyone who suppresses the truth uh, about God and his existence. And that when we suppress the truth, uh, it leads to all kinds of sins in heart, mind, and action and all people are guilty of this, right? Both Jews and Gentiles, those who have the law written on their hearts, and those who have the law written on tablets, everyone has broken this law. Not only that, but those who have the mark of circumcision broke the law as well, and that, that mark of circumcision will testify against them. He goes on to say just everyone is fallen short, right? Everyone has sinned against God. Everyone has been declared guilty of breaking God's law and will be held accountable by him on the last day. There are no exceptions because God does not have exceptions, right? He is equitable, he's fair, he's righteous, and so if you've been paying attention, hopefully those uh, those arguments have crushed any hope in you to be saved outside of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly where this is meant to take us. And now we have this wonderful turning point in verse 21 saying, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. I'm going to walk you through this text and I want to show you uh, just how theologically rich and beautiful uh, this section of Romans is. And it's in particular, uh, during the, the Reformation, there are these five solas. Uh, sola Scriptura, Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, sola Christus, and Sola Dea Gloria. And what those mean, of course, Sola Scriptura is scripture alone, right? Sola Gratia, grace alone. Sola Fide, faith alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone, and sola Deo Gloria, to God alone, is the glory. And these were really the pillars of the Reformation, these principles that the people believed were being put forward in the scriptures that we wanted to hold on to and build on. And I want to show you how each of these shows up in this short, pra- this short passage. And I want to kind of challenge you to underline different sections where these appear and write these down um, in the space that's on the side. Look what it says 21, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Underline that. The law and the prophets bear witness to it. And you can even write the note. This is sola scriptura. The scriptures bear witness about Jesus. That's the whole point of the scriptures. That's why it exists. If you were to open up the Old Testament, you could easily write on every page of the Old Testament, this is about Jesus, and you'd be right. Uh, I've heard people say, you know, the Bible... Is basic instructions before leaving Earth. Has anyone heard that? B-I-B-L-E. Basic instructions before leaving Earth. And this is kind of cute, right? It's kind of interesting. It's kind of funny, but it's wrong. I mean, it is telling us something, but it's not instructions about what you are to do. And if you're anything like me, you don't need the instructions anyway, right? <laughs> It's not instructions about what you are to do. It's a picture of Jesus. The Old Testament, the New Testament is a picture of Jesus. If you get anything else out of that, you're, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, I, I had a, there was a poster in one of the rooms at my church, and it was all of the Bible written out, every single word in tiny little print. And in that print, uh, there was a picture of Jesus. You couldn't see it if you looked really closely, but if you step back a few feet, you could see it was a picture of Jesus. That's what the scriptures are. They're a picture of Jesus. They're showing you not what you should do, even though it does contain what uh, our moral lives should look like, but beyond that, it's showing us who God is and what He has done. That's what the scriptures are all about. It's bearing witness, the law and the prophets. They're all about Jesus. One of the most useful pieces of advice I've heard for reading the Bible is that a lot of times when we pick up the Bible, and you might be guilty of this, you read through it and you're looking for things that you should do, right? You're looking for instructions. You're looking for things that you can work on, that you can improve. And the tendency is when you're reading the Bible is to skip over all the stuff about God and Jesus and what they're doing and what he's proclaiming. And just look for the stuff that you can work on in your life. And if that's you, I just want to challenge you to do the opposite. Maybe think carefully about what it's saying that God has done for you. Maybe begin to meditate on those things that your eye doesn't naturally gravitate towards. Meditate on the things that God has done. Look at the things where Jesus is running the verse rather than you. Because that is really the heart of the scriptures. Of course, this is what we see in the Old Testament reading. In Isaiah 53, this morning we read this. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him None of it was about you and what you do. It was all about Jesus, the servant of God, who makes others righteous by his actions. The law and the prophets, they bear witness to Jesus Christ. and So that's sola scriptura. The next, sola gratia, if we we move on. Uh, The law and the prophets bear witness to it. In verse 22, the righteousness of God... Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Let's look at uh, faith alone, sola fide. So this righteousness of God, we've already established throughout Romans, it cannot come through our works. In fact, no human flesh will be justified by works of the law. Right? So people who think this way, people who think, I'm going to make it up to God. I'm going to surpass the amount of my sins with the amount of my good deeds. My civic actions, my trying harder, they're not just a little bit wrong. They're completely wrong. Because the scriptures say, no flesh will be justified by works of the law. Instead, the law shows us how short we come of the righteousness of God. Rather, we are justified through faith in Jesus Christ. This righteousness from God that comes from faith in Jesus. And it goes on to say there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so if anyone will be saved, if anyone will be declared righteous before God, remember that justified word means you are declared innocent, declared righteous. If anyone will be declared righteous as they stand before the living God, it will be be because they have faith in Jesus Christ. They have trusted him. They have abandoned all hope in themselves, and they say, Jesus, if I'm going to be saved, it's because of you alone. Faith alone saves, apart from works of the law. Uh, We see this again in the scriptures. You think about the, the thief on the cross. There's two thieves, right? Being crucified with Jesus. And one doesn't get it. He's mocking Jesus along with everyone else who's on the ground. And that's how he decides to spend his last moments in life. is also mocking Jesus. But one has wisdom come to him. The spirit comes into his heart. And says, don't you understand this man is innocent? Right? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, look what this man offers. To, what can this guy offer to Jesus at this time? What can he give to him? Nothing. You can't say, you know what, Jesus, I promise you, if you forgive me, uh, I'm going to get down off this cross. And I'm going to start serving the poor. No, he can't, he can't do any of that. I'm going to go back to my family. I'm going to raise my kids right. I'm going to really focus on what matters this time. He can't do any of that. He can't promise God anything. He can't bargain with God at all. He's literally nailed to a piece of wood. He's not going anywhere, friends. And even if he got down, the Roman soldiers are right there to finish him off. The only thing he can give to Jesus is his heart. The only thing he can give to Jesus is to say, I trust in you fully. Uh, I am completely at your mercy. You are the king, and I need you. And so that's what he gives to Jesus. And Jesus responds with grace. Today you will be with me in paradise. So it is for every single one of us at every moment of our lives. Every moment of our lives, what can we give to Jesus? What can we bargain for? What can we give to him besides just simply saying, I can do nothing before God to save myself, and so Jesus, save me. Save me this day. Save me tomorrow. Save me at the hour of my death. It'll be the same on, in that very moment when I die as it is right this moment. I can offer you nothing except for to trust in your mercy. Sola fide. Let's look at sola gratia in verse 24. It says, All have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Grace as a gift. Underline that. Gift is one of the best... Words that we have to understand grace. Grace is unmerited favor before God. Since no one could earn it, and the only thing that we have earned before God is wrath on our sin, then the only thing that God gives to us is through his grace. It's a gift. You don't want to earn what God has in store for you. You don't want to God, God to give you the wages of your sins. You need a gift. And that's what Jesus is. Uh, Jesus is the Word in the flesh. She is the mercy of God wrapped in a human form, given to you upon the cross. I love every time we, we come to communion. Every single time it gets to me. This is. Jesus, for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. This is a gift into your hands, into your body. You didn't pay for it. You didn't earn it. Open your hands and receive it. It's a gift. Sola gratia. Jesus is the one who earned it. Uh, Jesus is the one who lived the life that we didn't live. He's the one who accurately... Accurately reflected the glory of God into this world where you did not. He is the one who kept faithfully the commandments, and He gives His entire person to you as a gift so that you can be justified and saved before God. Now let's look at uh, Solus Christus, Christ alone. We were justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And in verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. There's some really uh, deep words that are in there. Uh, Propitiation is one of them. I want to kind of get behind that word a little bit. It's a very complex word, but propitiation means an atoning sacrifice. But the word that Paul uses here could mean, uh, or is the same word that's used uh, for the mercy seat in the Old Testament. And the mercy seat was on the top of the Ark of the, of the Covenant. There was this lid on top of the Ark, and all uh, there was two cherub uh, plated in gold on either side of this. And this was used... To put sacrifices on, in particular on the day of Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. It was like the high, one of the highest feast days, festival days um, in the Old Testament, the, the, following the laws and the rituals that God had given to them so that He could dwell with them. And on Yom Kippur, they would take a, a goat uh, and they would kill the goat for the sins of the people. Uh, And it would be all the sins that people had done. And especially the ones that they didn't know they had done. This this guilt that just is invisible to us. They would take that goat. They would kill it. And they would take some of the blood. And they would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. They would sprinkle it on that same place. And this is the place where God would come. And his presence in particular would be as he would dwell with his people. And it was that sacrifice of that goat. That blood. That blood. Where the life was that God atoned for the sins of the people and he would dwell with them. It's no accident that Paul uses this language when he's talking about Jesus. Because this is a Jewish story. Right? It comes from the long history, the long trajectory of the Jewish story. And Jesus is at the center of that story. All of the law and the prophets bear witness to Jesus... Every word in the Old Testament is driving toward this Christ, this Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. There's no other Lamb of God. There's no other one that could do this work. And this is what God put forward, this perfect Lamb, this perfect spotless sacrifice. By His blood, He atoned for our sins. He sprinkled the blood of Christ upon you so that you and him could dwell in peace again. And this is what the book of Colossians says. The book of Colossians says it in the same kind of way that God made peace with us, reconciled us by the blood of the cross. That there is one redemption, there is one Christ, there is one way. It's by His blood and faith in His blood that we can be saved. There is no other way. And this is what God put forward for your sake and for my sake so that by His death, God would take away our sins so that He could once again dwell with you. There's a great hymn uh, that really captures this well. It's called Not All the Blood of Beasts. Listen to these verses. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away its stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes away all our sin, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. God used Jesus, he put forward Jesus by his blood so that we could be saved. Uh, The book of Acts says there is no other name in heaven and on earth by which we must be saved. Jesus is his name. He lived in flesh and blood. He gave that flesh and blood for you. There is no other redemption and only those who trust in him by faith receive what God has stored up. For us in Christ, which is goodness and everlasting life. It's Christ alone. And now let's look at the last one. Uh, glory to God alone. 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus. Uh, This is such a beautifully dense statement. How is God just? He's fair to all people. He's wrathful against sin. And that's a good thing. We all need that. He shows no partiality. But judges fairly all across the board. He doesn't let anyone off the hook. But he's just. But he's also the justifier. That he put forward his son Jesus Christ. So that guilty people could actually live again. He passed over former sins. right? He didn't kill the world. He didn't destroy those sinful, rebellious people. Instead, he passed over all of those sins, and then he put those sins on the person of Jesus Christ so that he would not break his righteousness, but he could also be the one who makes you righteous by faith. God upheld his end of the deal. He upheld his righteousness. He upheld his covenant. He also upheld your end of the deal by putting his son, Jesus Christ, in your place so that you could be innocent, so that you could be called into his presence as righteous, as just. And so verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. Underline that sentence. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So, if we have done nothing to earn God's favor, but Jesus has done everything, who is going to get to boast about that anymore? Who's going to say to other people, God chose me because I'm such a good person. I'm such an amazing person. I'm so, God is so lucky to have me on his team. Right? Of course, that attitude cannot exist among true Christians. Because true Christians recognize, I don't get any of the credit. True Christians understand, God has done every single part of my salvation He has given his son. All I contribute to the the problem is my sins, not the solution. And so because of this, we can look out into the world and we can say, you know what? I am the chief of sinners. I am am the worst. Uh, I am the one who least deserved God's mercy. And yet God gave it to me. And so he can give it to you too. And so in the church among Christians, what kind of heart attitude does that bring us to? We're thankful people. We're thankful people. How much has God done for you in your life? Do you have any license to be bitter all the time or grumpy all the time? Shouldn't you always be filled with rejoicing? because of what God has done for you, the gift that he has put into your hands in Christ Jesus. We're thankful people, we're also humble people. Why did God choose you? Why did God decide to send his son to save you? Was it because you were so great? Of course not. It was out of his mercy and out of his grace. And so whatever we do in this life, We don't use it to boast over other people. Instead, we use it to humbly serve them. Jesus humbly served me. He humbly served you. God wanted you when you were full of sin. God desired to save you when you were hopeless. And he has done these things in Jesus Christ already for you. And so because of that, we are free to give ourselves away. We are free to trust that in Christ we will be saved, we will be raised from the dead, and then in this life we can humbly serve, giving ourselves away as Christ has given himself to us. Um, The gospel, the power of God for salvation for all who believes, changes every single part of our lives. Uh, The scriptures bear witness to Jesus alone, Uh, It's faith alone in Christ that saves, not our works. And this was given only by grace, unmerited favor from God. And it's only through the blood of Christ, it's only through the name of Jesus that anyone can be saved. And because of this, God alone gets the glory. We turn our hearts towards him more and more as we see what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. May the same Jesus Christ uphold you and give you his spirit in the days to come. Amen.
2: This time we respond to God's generosity and give him thanks and praise through our offerings. And if you would, please fill out one of the connection cards. And if you would, also put those either in the offering plate or leave them in the seat uh, so we can better know and serve you. Thank you. Let's rise together and give our thanks to God as we sing the doxology together. Come to the Lord now in prayer. Gracious God, we give you our thanks and our praise that you gather us by your grace alone uh, as a body of believers to hear your word. And we pray, as we've heard your word, the gospel, uh, give us the grace to believe it, to trust it, that through faith alone we receive your favor, your mercy, and your salvation. Lord, in your mercy. Gracious Father, we we ask you that you would be present in this congregation and in all congregations where your word is preached, that you would uh, be at work awakening us uh, to these beautiful scriptural truths that we are saved not by our works, but by grace through faith, all on account of Jesus Christ. And so Lord, help us to boast and give glory to you alone. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our Gracious Father, shape us and form us to be humble, thankful people. Take away from us bitterness, grumbling, a lack of gratitude or pride, but may your gospel shape us to be humble, thankful people. Lord, may those who experience us in our presence outside of this church experience grace and humility and thanksgiving, Uh, that the gospel would be adorned and that people would be brought to know you. Lord, in your mercy. Gracious Father, your gospel teaches us to not be anxious people or worried people, but to be people who are at rest in your love We know that through justification, by grace, through faith, you have spoken a word of pardon and innocence to us. And so, Lord, we are now free to live with boldness and with trust. And so, Lord, in the midst of so many changing things in our world, in the midst of so many unsettling things in this world, we pray that you would help us to confidently trust and even rejoice in all that you've laid up for those who love you. Lord, in your mercy. Amen. Gracious Father, we pray that unity and love would prevail among all Christians. We pray that you would take away from us pride or arrogance. Help all Christians to have a spirit of unity in, in both doctrine and practice. We pray, Lord, that all churches would be places where your word is proclaimed in its purity, that Christ alone would receive the glory. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray for unity and peace between all people, especially in this nation, and also in the nations of the world. We long for the day when our King of Kings, our Prince of Peace, will resolve and heal all earthly strife. For Lord, we are unable to do this on our own. But as much as it is possible in this age, We pray that you would bring conflicts to an end and that peace would prevail among the nations. Give to all rulers of this world wisdom and integrity and justice. And We pray, Lord, that you would bring about peace, especially in Ukraine. Lord, in your mercy. Gracious Father, we pray for peace in our bodies. We ask you for the healing that we so desperately need from your hand. We ask you that you would draw near to those who've cried out to you for healing, for Greg Levitt, for Carrie Heck, for Charlie Kreitzer and for Izzy Warrington, (coughs) Marvin Rall, for Julie Axman, for Roland Mallory, and Lord, all that we name before you in our hearts now. Lord, be merciful and grant your healing and the grace to endure all afflictions. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, you command us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. We pray that we as your Christian church would would mourn with those who have lost loved ones. We ask you, Lord, that you would be merciful to the family of Dorothy DeLate at her passing this morning. We pray that you would surround and comfort her family and us as the communion of saints here at Holy Cross with the sure and the certain hope of the resurrection. And we give you thanks for calling Dorothy to faith and keeping her in the faith to the very end. We pray also that you'd be with the family of uh, Christopher, brother of Bruce Geraltz, and also the family and friends of Ron Blessing. Lord, give to us the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. Lord, in your mercy. Gracious Father, we bring all these prayers to you, rejoicing, giving thanks for all that you've done for us. We pray, Lord, that our lives this week would give witness to the work that you've done in our hearts. All this we ask in the name of Jesus, the one who has taught his people to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord be with you. Bless we the Lord. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace.